0: Thank you so much for the invitation to be with you this morning, and to Richard, thank you so much for the words of uh, welcome to Christine and to myself. It is a joy for us to be here and to join with you this morning in worship. As part of our mission program at the uh, Noble Park uh, Church, where I pastored for some time, I had the privilege over a number of years of ministering in Cambodia. One of the first lessons that I had to learn was the simple lesson of how to cross the road, particularly in Phnom Penh very much part of uh, French Indochina, china Phnom Penh has a number of very long, large, and lovely boulevards. But there are all kinds of traffic coming from all points in the compass, thronging and filling the motorways. No uh, walkways to cross over. And therefore, the challenge was how did you get from one side of the road to the other amidst what seemed to be absolute confusion? The instructions given to me, the directions given to me were quite simple step out, keep going until you reach your destination. Don't stop, don't hesitate. Don't try and and second guess the oncoming driver, just keep progressing. They'll know where you're going, and they'll go around you. Simple, challenging, confronting, frightening, scary, but my being here this morning is a testimony to the wise words and the correct information. One just started and kept on progressing, despite the challenges, the seeming threats, and the apparent obstacles. You kept on keeping on until you got to the other side. Such is the lesson that we are to learn from this 121st Psalm. And if you have your Bibles with you, come back with me to this portion that was read in our hearing just a few moments ago. You'll notice when you look at this Psalm that it is entitled A Song of Ascents. A Song of Ascents. This is part of a collection of Psalms which begins with the 120th and goes through to the 134th. Those Psalms which bear this this title and refer to the journey made by God's ancient people as they would travel up to Jerusalem for the annual festivals of worship. This was the the law that uh, Joseph and, and Mary obeyed is shown by Luke in his gospel, chapter 2 and verse 41. So that this collection of Psalms, 120 to 134, were the, really the, the songbook of pilgrims progressing towards Jerusalem, going up in order to praise God, And worship him. So let me try and draw your attention to some features for our own encouragement and enrichment this morning from this 121st Psalm. The first thing I would draw your attention to is simply this. The trial, the pilgrim fist. The trial, the pilgrim fist. I'm going to the first verse, the first verse, which has been expressed in a number of ways. For example, if I was to have my authorized or King James Version in front of me this morning, I would read these words. I will lift up mine eyes to the hills, comma, from whence cometh my help, full stop. The implication here is that the pilgrim's help is to come from the hills. And that's not unusual, for in other parts of the Psalter, we're told to to flee to the mountains, even as David did in his lifetime. However, on the other hand, I do have my English Standard Version in front of me, and it, along with most more modern translations, translates verse one this way. I lift up my eyes to the hills, full stop. Then it asks the question, from where does my help come from? In other words, The problem confronting the pilgrim, his problem is the hills. The hills. So that this verse is not making a statement, but indicating a search for help. So what do these hills represent? Well, to be quite honest, we're not sure. Uh, the writer doesn't tell us, but we can make certain deductions from the, the context. If I was reading from the King James, I could conclude that the the hills were a place of delight that the the pilgrim was looking forward to to being in Jerusalem, and those hills that he could see were the hills surrounding that great city. And so he realized that uh, the journey was nearly over. The weariness would be done, the demands would be finished, everything would be passed, the hills were a place of refuge and rest. He would soon be in the temple praising the living and the true God. But such an interpretation, in a sense, clashes with what he says in the rest of that verse. Where does my help come from? Because if we look at it in another way, as indicated, as I indicated by more modern translations, hills were a place of danger. If I can refer again to Cambodia. About uh, five or six years ago, the principal of the Bible school where I teach invited me to go with him on a pastoral visit to one of the former students who was planting a church in the mountains in southwest Cambodia uh, near the Thai border. And uh, it was very gracious of him to invite me, and I went along with him. We traveled for one day, and then we stopped overnight, and then we changed vehicles into a four-wheel drive and headed up into the mountains, up into the hills. We soon left what were the sealed roads to come into dirt tracks in the midst of jungle, very, very rough going and very rough terrain. And the principal just happened to say to me, Uh, Brian, you have to be a wee bit careful here, because uh, not only it's rough going, but uh, this is the place where the criminals live. These hills are filled with robbers and uh, rascals, unlawful, lawless men and women, And they live here because they know the police will never come here. The police are too frightened to come into this area. That cheered my heart immensely. And I thought, well, what a wonderful place to plant a church. But here it is. Hills, a place of danger. And that is the situation here. Because these hills that the pilgrim is looking at. These were places one would naturally seek to avoid. Here were places where there were robbers and bandits and thugs. Hills were a lawless place inhabited by criminals everywhere. So hills were places you did not want to go. But to reach your destination, you had to persist. You had to push on. You had to keep moving. The pilgrimage had to continue, no matter what you had to face or what you felt. The hills were a place of danger. The hills were also places of depravity, of idolatry, of immorality. You read the books of the prophets, and you read their warnings to the people of God regarding hills, because there would be found places of pagan worship, Shrines that that, uh, would uh, lift up their images, as it were, to the people. Shrines that were inhabited by prostitutes, both male and female. The hills were the place where you would find the Baals, the the Astaroth, the sun priests, and the moon priestesses. And so this warning, Jeremiah puts it succinctly, truly, the hills are a delusion. The hills are a delusion. So these hills could stand for two quite different, almost contradictory things delight or danger. But it would appear from the context that the pilgrim. When he looks and he sees the hills, he's filled with the sense of his own frailty, his own inadequacy. He has a very real sense of his own weakness and his own helplessness. And so he cries out in the shadow of these hills, from whence does my help come from? He is conscious of the fact that in and of himself, he is not sufficient for the task ahead and for the trials that are to come. He is not sufficient for the, the events that might befall him, for the elements that might harm him, for the evils that might ensnare him, for the enemy that awaits him. And yet, he wants to progress in his pilgrimage. He wants to reach Beulah land. He wants to finish his course with joy. He wants to be part of the congregation, worshiping the Lord. And so his question is a most significant question. Where does my help? come from. A help that will be sufficient to get me home before the dark. That is sufficient to get me through the hills and to the city of God. From where does my help come from is a central question and it is a crucial question for every Christian. For the words of Dr. J.I. Packer, for a Christian, weakness is the way. Weakness is the way. You see, this world in which, which we live makes much of arrogance. An independence. The Bob the Builder mentality. Can we fix it? Yes, we can. We don't need any God or gods. We can handle whatever is thrown at us. But here, the pilgrim personifies the right Attitude of all those who are God's pilgrim people. What is the hymn that we sing? We go, we step out, we move on. We go in faith, our own great weakness feeling and needing more each day. Thy grace to know. My friends, as you face the future, knowing that faith does not insulate you from trial or testing or tribulation, where is your confidence placed? Where have you? list your trust? Where is your hope settled? From where does your help come? The trial the pilgrim faced. But then notice, for quite wonderfully, he answers his own question. I take you to verse 2 where we find the testimony the pilgrim expressed. The testimony the pilgrim expressed. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Here someone has said, here in these words is the Christian's creed. The distinguishing feature of the faithful Here is what true disciples not only declare with their lips, but demonstrate with their lives before a watching world. That my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And notice with me the identity here. My help comes from where? It comes from the Lord, and you notice in your Bible, you notice in your text, the capitalization of that name, Lord, in your English Bible, designates a specific name. My help is in Yahweh. My help comes from Jehovah. My help comes from a covenant-keeping God. The I am who I am, the great I am. My help comes from the God who keeps his promises, who fulfills his purposes, and assures of his presence. Here is this glorious name, which above all else points to God's unchanging faithfulness, or faithfulness rather to his people. His identity. But then notice his sovereignty. For we are told here he made heaven and earth. And, and, and that was of tremendous significance to Israel because that set Israel's God apart from all other gods. You have the scriptures in front of you this morning. Let me just take you to one reference. Come over with me to Jeremiah's prophecy, chapter 10 and verse 11. Jeremiah 10 and verse 11. Thus shall you say to them, the God who did not make the heavens and earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heaven." And then he goes on in the next three or four verses to declare and to demonstrate and to display the wonder, the majesty, the sovereignty of this our God. Here is the the distinguishing feature of the pilgrim's God. He is a sovereign God. He is a sufficient God. He is the God of wonders and wisdom. He is the God of might and of majesty and of power. He is the living God who intervenes in people's lives. He's the one who holds the whole world in his hands, the one who is not limited by our failures our frailty. He is our helper. And what a difference that should make to us as we confront the challenges and the changes of life. Do you remember Peter and John? They had been threatened and let go, Acts chapter 4. And they go back to their friends, and they go to prayer. It's a wonderful prayer recorded in that portion. I wonder if you've ever looked at how they began to pray. What they asked at the beginning. What did they do at the beginning? Well, here it is. Verse 24 of Acts 4. Here's their declaration and prayer. Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth, and the sea and everything in them, what are they doing? What are they doing? Before they bring their request, they remind themselves, they remember, they recognize the God with whom they have to do. They they add fuel to their faith. They got things in proper perspective. They're being threatened by the religious authorities. But then they remember who their God is. Is anything too hard for the Lord who began all things? Is anything too hard for the Lord who maintains all things? Is anything too hard for the Lord who controls all things? Is anything too hard for the Lord who directs all things to the end that he has appointed? I lift my eyes to the hills. There's the unknown. There's uncertainty. There's something unexpected. But who can help me? Who can calm my heart? Who can quieten my fears? Who can strengthen my resolve to keep pressing on the upward way? Here's the answer. My help is in the Lord, his identity. My help is in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, his sovereignty. And then notice, don't pass over so quickly. Notice how it begins my help. His intimacy. Intimacy. Psalm 147, verse 3 and 4. Declare to us something of the wonder of our great God and his graciousness. That the maker of heaven and earth is also the one who heals and mends hearts. That on the one hand, we're reminded of his creative greatness... And on the other, his comforting gentleness. The psalmist here wonderfully brings these two strands together. Heaven is joined to hearts and stars are joined to sorrows and uh, great is joined to gentleness and creating to caring. That the God who spoke the world into existence, who flung the stars in space, who caused the sun to shine by day and the moon by night, is a powerful God, but he is also, also a personal God. An intimacy. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the sorrow in your heart. He knows the uncertainty in your mind. He knows the very words you're going to speak before they tumble from your lips. And yet, know this this Lord, He is his people's helper this lord he is sovereign over all and this lord is sufficient for us all even you my friend even you our need you see is his great opportunity To show his glory through his sufficiency. The trial the pilgrim faced, the testimony the pilgrim expressed, and so, thirdly and finally, notice with me, the truths the pilgrim recalled. The truths the pilgrim recalled, verses three through eight. Now, there's another wee bit of observation needed here and uh, interpretation, because you see, when you read the psalm, verses 1 and 2 are first person. I lift up my eyes. Where does my help come from? But then from verse 3, there's a change. It's second person. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you. Uh, grammatically, there's a change here, and the question often asks, "Well, what's the meaning? How, how come?" And the the thought, the suggestion, is threefold. Number one, it could be that the pilgrim is walking his pilgrimage along with a dear, close friend. They're going together. And so one pilgrim, as it were, expresses his his fears and his faith in verse 1 and 2. And then the other friend speaks some encouraging words to him and reminds him of some great things about God. On the other hand, it's been said, because this is the song book for the, the, the pilgrims, there would have been much singing going along. So it may have been that as they traveled along, this one pilgrim expresses again his fear and his faith. but then a song bursts out from those surrounding him, and they sing to him, verses 3 through 8, the great things about our God. It's antiphonal, one singing against the other, um, now and again, and I say now and again, maybe at Noble Park, we used to we used to sing antiphonally. There's a, a wonderful old ancient ancient hymn uh, that uh, we would we would sing. Art thou weary? Art thou languid? I don't know if you know it, but uh, we would get unlike here. We had a center aisle, and so we would get one side of the congregation. They'd sing the first part. Art thou weary? Art thou languid? Art thou sore distressed? And then the other side of the congregation, they would pick it up and they would answer. Come to me, says one, and coming be at rest. And so you got the church speaking to each other and singing to one another. That might have been the case here. But personally, I'm inclined to go with the third option, which is this, that the pilgrim is actually talking to himself. He's reminding himself of what he knows about God. Uh, Because the psalmist does this in other places. For example, Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope thou in God. You see, speaking to yourself, uh, taking hold of yourself, so to speak, is not a sign of madness. It is actually a vital tool for spiritual maturity. And that is what I think is going on here. That the pilgrim having giving his testimony now recalls his theology, those truths about God that he had almost forgotten. Because theology is simply yet sublimely the study of God, knowing him. So what does he remember? Well, his testimony bore witness to the sovereignty and all sufficiency of God. So now he affirms and applies those truths by highlighting three ways in which God's people, God's pilgrims, can progress through whatever traffic, trouble, trial, hills, or valleys come their way. Notice with me through these verses, three to eight, that there's one word being repeated again and again. I'm not going to take the time to read, but in my ESV, it is the word keeps. If you have an NIV, it'll be the word watches. If you've got a Christian standard Bible, it's a word protect. This word, this term appears six times in these verses implying that that is what the Lord is like, and this is what he does for his people. Our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, and therefore his people are subject to his unceasing perception. And I get that from verses 3 and 4. What does he say? He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber before, uh, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. That word keep watches over, protects. He is our guardian, He is our divine sentry, and He will never, ever be caught napping. He will never be found guilty of sleeping while on duty. Our divine watchman, our Lord, my brother and sister in Christ, is on duty 24-7. Unlike Baal in 1 Kings 18, who was asleep and had to be wakened, Jehovah never yawns, his eyes never droop, and his attention is never wearied. Rather, my dear Christian brother and sister, we are the apple of his eye. We are his beloved, and he cannot keep his eyes off us. He never never tires of caring for us. He is never too busy to turn away from us. Oh yes, the hills await, The challenges are mounting. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't even know what this afternoon holds, do we? But his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches over me. Unceasing perception. And then look at verses five and six. Unlimited protection. Unlimited protection. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shield on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. What's the pilgrim reminding himself of here? The Lord is our shield. The Lord is our sunscreen. And the Lord is our sanity. The Lord's dramatic picture of security day and night. That imagery of moon by night, the the, uh, idea from which we get our own term lunacy or lunatic. The inference being that the Lord shelters his people from those forces which would seek to unhinge our minds. The Lord would keep us, his people, sin. In this mad, mad world. And as a believer, quite honestly, I do not know how unbelievers can exist in this world. But our Lord is the maker of heaven and earth. He is mighty. He is merciful. And he's intimate with his children. Because notice... The Lord doesn't simply provide shield. What does the text tell us? He Himself is our shield on our right hand. So that during those times of grief, of doubt, of fear, I'm sure many of us have experienced what's called the dark night of the soul, when you can't sleep, you're worrying over the day ahead, you're thinking of all the things that could go wrong. Those periods, again, we call the the hiddenness of God. During such times, beloved, talk to yourself, remind yourself, sing the wonderful words of, Frederick Faber, thrice blessed is he to whom is given the instinct that can tell that God is on the field when he is most invisible. Remember the covenant-keeping promise of God. The Lord is your shield on your right hand. Where does my help come from? It comes, my friend, from the one who's right beside you every day, each day. He's right there, right on your side. He is there controlling supervising, examining, appointing all that comes to us. Because remember, remember, nothing touches us unless it first comes through him and given to us by nail-pierced hands. Unceasing perception, unlimited protection, and so finally, unending provision. Verse 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. There is no limit to his care for his children. From the small steps or small slips in verse 3 to the going out and our coming in of verse 8. The Lord is sovereign. The Lord is sufficient And we can trust him to take us from here to eternity. We can trust him to be our helper when we face our hills, whatever they may be. For make no mistake, my friends, the psalmist is not painting or promising a carefree, trouble-free life. No, 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 no. He promises security, but not immunity from life's awful realities. But how wonderful and how wise that it is our weakness, our great sense of need, our cry for help that becomes the arena in which our Lord demonstrates to us his amazing grace and his tender mercies and his deep, deep love for us. Our need, you see, beloved, drives us to him, so that we may taste and see that the Lord is good. That a Spurgeon once said, "Growth in grace is the result of sanctified trials." So, what was the pilgrim's testimony? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Christian's Creed. And beloved, what a wonderful way to start each day. Remembering and reciting this creed. What a lens through which to look at each day and each week. What a sufficiency is ours for eternity? For who will be your helper? You see, I don't know many of you. And thus I'm going to ask you who will be your helper when you step? Over the edge of this life. Onto the shores. Of forever. Who's going to be at your right hand. When that time comes. Who's looking after you. Who's the keeper of your soul. Who is your protector. Who will you think about that? Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your grace to us, your people. That you know us. You know the fears we have. You know the failures that we are so often. You know, our Father, our weakness, our helplessness. We can appear to one another to be such victorious, wonderful believers, but we cannot pretend before you. We thank you, therefore, that in knowing us, you would come as the covenant-keeping God to us, to assure us that our frailty and our failures are no hindrance to you, but for your own name's sake, for your own praise and glory, and for your own joy, you will bring your children safe home to glory. Father, may your word by your spirit encourage our hearts this day that we may rejoice and be glad in you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, music team.